read through the end of the chapter, through verse 31. And uh, we'll read it there. It says in verse number 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, I love, I've told you before, one of my favorite words in the Bible is the word but, because it takes a contrast and changes things. We see how awful things were for all of us, but look at what it says here in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, and to all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus, wherein boasting then is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is, not, is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And then we can take some time and break it down just a little bit. We've seen a lot of things here. We've seen where we stand and who we are. And before you, we are all guilty sinners. I'm thankful that you and your mercy and your grace made it possible for us to instead of being sinners head towards hell that we could have your righteousness put on us and that we could be declared justified and righteous in your sight what a blessing that is bless the time that we have we thank you for it in jesus name i pray amen i'm gonna play for you a video here in a minute in the early 2000s and around that time one of my favorite southern god i used to listen to southern gospel quite a bit the cathedral quartet if you don't know who the cathedral quartet is you're missing out on some good old singers there. Now, funny thing is, growing up, I was known as a heathen because I listened to this stuff. And so it's amazing where I've gone from then till today. But when I was thinking about this passage of Scripture, it reminded me of this song that an old guy on here, George Younts, used to sing, Thanks to Calvary. I want you to listen to the song before Christ. Tonight we see something completely, or this afternoon we see something completely different. Got to understand that when you're saved, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things are passed away, and all things are become new. When we get saved, we are made a new creation in Christ. Now, really, if you want to go back and look at it through the Scriptures, 
You know, we hear people often say we're all created in the image of God. You hear that everywhere, right? That's not true. That's not true. If you look, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. So if you notice, and you can go look later on to make sure I'm telling you the truth, but you go back and look at Genesis chapter number 5, it says that Adam had children in his image. See, if we were still made in the image of God, we'd be perfect. We're not. So when people say we're all made in the image of God, that's not quite true. Man messed that up when man sinned. Because if we're made completely in the image of God, there would be no sin. Now, is Adam made in the image of God? Yes. So is there things about us that are like in the image of God? Yes, there is, because it goes down that line. But I want you to understand something. When you get saved, you got how do I want to word this? You basically are the way that God wanted you to be from the beginning. When God made man, God made them alive, righteous, and man messed all that up. So Jesus died on the cross, and when God looks at me, he sees his son on me, which makes me a new creature. I'm not the same person I used to be. And thank God that he makes things new. We read last Sunday night, we studied verse 9 through 18, we found that man is a totally depraved creature. Which means, in all honesty, there is no good at all in any of us. Remember, we looked our very best. The best good we could do is as filthy rags in the sight of God. So there's no comparison. Our righteousness does not add up. Depraved, and we look at that, and everything, you think about everything that man touches gets defiled that's why you looked you realize there are no perfect things that men do wouldn't it be nice if churches were perfect i wish it would be really nice if churches where you say well christ the head of the church he is the head of the church but then men work in the church and ladies work in the church and we're all not perfect and because of that there's no perfect church now wouldn't it be nice if government was always good and did what they should do everything that man touches corrupts over time and that's where the theory of evolution comes into play. It does not really, not valid, because evolution tells us that things are getting better and better. No, because of sin, everything is getting worse and worse and worse. So it debunks the theory of evolution in itself. Last week, we looked at the man in the mirror that we look at and how wicked we were before salvation. And tonight, I want you to see that Paulie concludes, I say tonight because I'm too used to having an evening service. This afternoon, I want to say that Paul finishes up talking about the old man there in verse 19 and 20, and then he talks about the new creature that Jesus makes us to be. So let's finish up with the old man, and then let's go back to the new man, and then we'll be done. Number one, we see the old man, he was a ruined man. He was a ruined man. He was a ruined man. Verse number 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. We are, you think about this letter A, we are declared, or he was, the old man was declared a sinner by the law. Because the law of God exposes the, the things that we're guilty of, that's what it does. How would we know the wrong that we do without the law? The law shows us our need for a Savior. The law shows us that we were all had fallen short. When we think about that, I think Phillips is the one who say, said is the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we are. 
Because when you look at the Word of God, we can never measure up. You read in this book and you read the passages of Scripture, you can never do all the things the book tells you to do. We can't. And so I know some of us are attitudes, well then, I just won't try at all. That's a terrible way to live. And I've heard people say that. Can't add up and measure up, I just won't even try. No, you'd give God your very best. But no, at the end of the day, you're going to mess up. We all do. Because we cannot all keep all the things of the law. And you've got to understand, and you think about even what Jesus spoke, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, read through there sometime. And you read how we as Christians should be and how we should act and how we don't act. We're told that we should be perfect, right? As your Heavenly Father's perfect. And you look and you say, I could never be perfect. Someday you will be perfect. And praise God for that day. But you got to understand that our old man was declared a sinner by the law. And letter B, he was damned as a sinner by the law. God gave the law to man as a tool. It was to drive us to Jesus. So that we could see that we needed something. We could not on our own get where we need to be. You've got to understand, the law shows us that our goodness could never add up because we always fall short, we always mess up, we always don't do what God wants us to do. And because of that, we're damned to hell when you look at it. The whole reason you think about it, do you have Galatians 3.24 back there? So what the Bible says about the law, it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ, we might be justified by faith. But there are groups in religion today and back in Jesus' day, they took the law and you got to keep the law if you're going to be saved. If you're going to follow God, you better keep the law. And Paul made it clear, hey, hold it. The law was our, it was, it's there to teach us that we need Jesus. That's what the law is there for. And Jesus is the way that we're justified by faith, not by keeping the law, because in keeping the law, we can never keep the entire law. So we see that man is a, the, our old man is a ruined man, declared a sinner by the law, and damned as a sinner by the law. You think about the law, it's kind of like a mirror. The law just points out things. Like you got a pimple on your face, the mirror will let you know you got a pimple on the face. But you don't pick up the mirror and start wiping the mirror on your face to get rid of the pimple. The mirror can't clean you. The mirror just shows you. And that's what we do a lot of times in what religion does with the law. They try to take the law and let it clean you, but the law can't. Just as a mirror can't clean you, it just shows you what's wrong. The mirror shows you, the law shows us how we need Christ. So we see he was a ruined man. Number two, and I love this, we go from being a ruined man or woman to a redeemed man. And a redeemed woman. I mentioned it earlier, I mentioned that word but, I love that word in the Bible. So many times it's used, I think of Joseph when his brothers had done all those wicked things to him and they said, hey, dad said before he died, don't be mean to us, be nice to us. He never said anything like that. They were still trying to be deceitful and do things. And what did Joseph say? Guys, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Think about Ephesians chapter number 1. It talks about how we're dead in our trespasses and sins. How we walk according to the course of this world, the spirit that worketh, the spirit of disobedience, and goes on further that I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But verse number 4, it goes from we're children of wrath even as, even as others. And it goes to verse 4, says, But God, who is rich in mercy, wherewith he loved us. So we've spent 
from chapter number 1 and verse number 18 through chapter 3 and verse number 20, seeing how wicked we are. And Paul doesn't leave anybody out. The end of chapter number 1, Paul's like, just so you know, when you reject God and then the sin starts developing in your life, that sin will take you to hell. Then he says in chapter number 2, hold on, you there that think you're so much better than those that openly sin like that. Your heart isn't right, and you're a hypocrite the way you live, and your deeds will take you to hell just like the sinner in chapter 1. And okay, so you're not a hypocrite, and you're not that big old sinner of chapter number 1. You're just a religious person that has never trusted Christ as your Savior. You're bound to hell just like they are. And then we see in chapter number 3 last week, in the past couple weeks, it all ties together the fact we're all sinners and we all fall short of God's glory. That's what Paul's saying. He goes from these things and saying how the old man is dead and how the law and all these different things to where he says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. We see he's a redeemed man. When that word but, you've got to understand, it denotes a change of thought. It stands as a worthy doorkeeper to the t- thoughts that will follow. You've got to understand, I was a ruined man. You were a ruined man or woman, but thanks to Calvary, you're different today. You've been redeemed. You've been changed, and thank God for that tonight. May I just remind you, too, little words like the word but. Little words matter in the Bible. The Bible tells us that not one jot or one tittle of the word of God would pass away. Not one crossing of the T or dotting of the period will pass away, which means that every single word matters. And what did Jesus say when he was tempted of Satan? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word matters. We look at this passage of Scripture, and a few people, um, Donald Barnhouse called this passage, he called it the heart of the Bible. Uh, Martin Luther labeled this part of Romans the morrow of theology. And probably some of the deepest theology in all the world is found in these verses that we look at today. And I can just tell you something. I'm not going to do them justice over the next few minutes. But I want you to understand something. I want you to see some things. I want you to notice some of the traits of the new man that we become. We look at, we are a redeemed man, we think of letter A, that we've experienced faith. We've experienced faith. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man has a very big problem. He's a sinner. And for three chapters, Paul has made that loud and clear to each of us that that's our problem. Our problem is that we are lost and we cannot find our way to God. We are incapable of finding our way to God because we're dead. Show me how a dead man can find his way anywhere. Just the other night, with being a chaplain with the city, there was a man that passed away early Friday morning, 2.30 in the morning. He got up to get a drink of water, fell and hit his head, died right there in his living room. 
I got called out, and I was there. The lady wanted a chaplain there, and so I was able to witness to her some, give her some comfort as her husband laid there dead on the floor for three hours till the corner could get there. She wanted to put a pillow under his head. She wanted to do different things. A dead person can do nothing for themselves. You got to understand something. Before salvation, we are dead. You are incapable of finding God. I'm incapable of it. Say, so, well, how does it happen? For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. God's gift to us is twofold. His grace, but the faith needed for salvation. Think about that one. You stop and think about that for a few minutes. And think about how the Lord works. You've got to understand, we could never be good enough to please God. And God demands perfection. And he has the right to. He's the standard bearer. And you see, man's a miserable sinner. Verse 23 said that to us again. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, which means every one of us misses the mark. That's what it means. There's a bar set and none of us hit that mark. We all fall short of that mark. And the tense of that word there in Greek even suggests the fact that it's an ongoing thing, that we keep continually missing the mark. We can never be good enough. Church, we cannot get to God on our own. Therefore, God allows man to be redeemed by placing faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You think about that. What these verses are telling us is that we did not find God. We hear people often, I found God. No, you're incapable of finding God. And you'll never find God on your own. He came to you. He gave you the opportunity. Now make sure you understand, I'm not sounding like a Calvinist this afternoon. I'm not a Calvinist. But I want you to understand something. We're incapable on our own. Don't ever forget that. And when we look at this, I'm so thankful that God works in our lives. Salvation only comes through faith. You cannot buy your way to heaven. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. You can't work hard enough to get to heaven. However, if you believe in Jesus, you can be saved by grace through faith, and you can have a home in heaven and be redeemed. You see, the new man, he's experienced faith. You notice the wording there says, unto all and upon all. That means that the Lord takes his righteousness and gives it to everyone who wants it. It's not limited in, in scope. We see letter A, he's experienced faith. Letter B, a new man that's inside has experienced freedom. Verse 24, we look at this verse, and this verse brings some great words, and I really think it's the first time, and I could be wrong, I think one of the first times in the New Testament the word justified is used. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. You can see in the Old Testament, you can see examples of redemption. But you want to talk about theologically speaking in the Bible? Justification and redemption are mentioned here. 
That's where it begins. Two great words that far too many Christians know very little about. The word justify means to declare one not guilty or to make one as he ought to be. Remember how God wanted us to be? He made us in his image perfect. When he justifies us, he returns us back to that state through Christ. We get freedom. We're justified. I think someone word for justified just as if I never sinned. Justified. Redeemed. Redemption. When we think about redemption, it means to set at liberty after a payment of a ransom price. Put it all together, it goes like this. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, God applied the price that Jesus paid on the cross to our account. It pleased God, and we are made clean in His sight. That's what justification, that's what redemption is all about. And maybe here this afternoon, maybe you've had a bad week or a bad day. If you just start talking about the redemption and how he's redeemed you, and you start talking about justification, it should change how you feel just a little bit. I mentioned yesterday, those of you that are reading through the Bible in the year, the book of Leviticus, it gets long, but man, chapter 16 yesterday, I was jumping around, getting a little excited because I was reading about the scapegoat. If you don't know about the scapegoat and you don't understand the scapegoat, I'm so glad that Jesus Christ took my penalty put everything on himself so that I could be set free. You see, he died, he went through all the pain, all the suffering, so that I could be free from my sins. That's how we experience freedom today. The world doesn't get, the world doesn't see, but in Christ we're free. We're free from the bondage of sin. I'm so thankful for that this afternoon. You see, in Jesus Christ I am free. And guess what? So many Christians live their life trying to please God. You on your own cannot please God in anything that you do. Do you realize that? What does the Bible say? Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You could never please God. I could never please God. The only way you please God is through faith and receiving his son's righteousness on your life. It's powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Thank God for what Jesus did. I no longer have to try to be good to get to God or to let me go to heaven. I have his righteousness on me, and I'm declared righteous not because of how I live, but because of who lives in me. I love, if you look at that verse there, verse 24. 24, Romans, 4, Romans 3, 24 is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. It says, being justified, look at that word, freely. The word means without a cause. Why did God, look at that. So, being justified freely. He didn't justify us because we were so awesome. He didn't justify us. He did it because he did it freely. He did it out of his love. He did it out of who he is. God gave us his righteousness when we didn't deserve it. 
He gave it to us when we could never pay it back or make good on what he did for us. You see, there's no explaining why God saved a bunch of hell-deserving sinners. But the only two thoughts that come to my mind is the words love and grace. Do you know, I don't understand everything there is about how, how electric works and how these electrons go in different places and they do different things and you get electricity. And I don't always understand how a black cow eats green grass and gives white milk. But I still like milk. It doesn't change the fact that I like milk. And even though I don't fully understand why God would do all that he does for me, they still appreciate it and love him for what he's done. You see, this new man, thank God, we were declared we were ruined, we're redeemed, let her see. He, we've experienced forgiveness. Wow, what words. Justification, redemption. We look at verse 25, it says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be justified and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, something that's interesting, and we'll see if I cover this here in just a minute, but we're told here that Jesus, he was our propitiation. This is another big Bible word. There are big Bible words, and let me just say, we don't need big Bible words dumbed down for us. Justification needs to be left alone. Redemption needs to be left alone. Propitiation just needs to be left alone. You say, well, what in the world does propitiation mean? Pick up a dictionary and find out for yourself. Google it. You can find it. We, this is what we want. We want everything out in front of us. Here, you need your baby food today? Here, you eat your baby food. We want everything dished out for us. Sometimes you've got to search things out, but I'm gonna, here's your baby food. Are you ready? Propitiation means an appeasement or satisfying. We look at this verse here that God has set forth to be. So when Jesus died for us, his blood that was shed, and as we put our faith in him, God is pleased and everything is taken care of. It's all satisfied. This word propitiation, it actually comes from a Hebrew word that was used of the cover of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies which was sprinkled with the blood of that um, animal that would be sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. And so they had, you think about this, that animal was, his blood was shed to pass the sin on, right? And it passed the sin on. But what you got to understand is that God was appeased and their sin was passed down on the Ark of the Covenant when the blood was shed. And so when Jesus finally did it, God was pleased for all time. And I love, if you look at those words there, and like I said, there is so much doctrinally good richness here. It says, look at this, it says that um, remission of sins that are past. So before you ever got saved, he knew at some point you would get saved. And he's forgiven you for all those things could look at it another way. Think about the Old Testament saints and all their sin. Look at what it says in that verse. It says, 
to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. That's why in the Old Testament you could read verses, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Say, but Jesus hadn't died on the cross in the book of Psalms yet. Or where Jesus said, or not where Jesus, the book of Isaiah, it says, I will blot out their sin, I choose to remember no more. Like, well, how's that? Because he hasn't died yet. But when you look at that and you think about those verses and you look at the word remission means to cover over, to disregard. When we trust Christ, God puts our sin behind him. And may I just remind you this afternoon, watching at home, sitting here tonight, and I know some of you thought, oh, we're going to come to church and is it Super Bowl Sunday, is this going to be a little half-hearted? I don't, I, I don't preach half-hearted any time I preach. When I preach, you get the whole thing, and I don't care what time it is. I don't care what's going on. In all honesty, I'm the biggest sports fan, probably more than anyone else in this room, and I don't care about the Super Bowl when it comes to the things of God. I would never, and may I repeat this, I would never miss church for a sports game. Never. Now, if I can work it to have church before the sports game, that might work out too. But you might have thought you were coming. I don't know. Just as much work went into this sermon as any other sermon that I give any other time. The whole service prayer went just as much because I don't believe in a a half-given service. I give, and you got to understand something, God has given me the privilege of preaching his word and I'm going to give him my very best every time he allows me to get behind the pulpit and preach. But we look and we see that we've experienced forgiveness and thank God for that. The man we looked at in the mirror, the new man, is not the man that we used to be. You've got to understand, in the Christian life, I hear people, Pastor, I have so much guilt inside. I have so much that I'm bearing on my shoulders. And s- Does God bring guilt? Does God bring guilt to you? If you're a saved child of God, does he throw things in your face and, get, and make you feel guilty? No, 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 he does not. Oh, but there is an accuser of the brethren. His name's Satan. And we do it to ourselves. What did Jesus say when he looked at the woman taken in adultery? You filthy prostitute, you whore, what were you doing? How dare, no, hey, and sin no more. You're a new creature. I've made you whole. You might look back and say, look at the awful things that I've done. And the Lord looks at you and says, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember those things anymore. In my book, I don't see anything about you doing that. And sometimes we beat ourselves up and God isn't the one who beats us up. We do it to ourselves. Your Father loves you. He's forgiven you. And praise God for that tonight. We see that we were ruined men. But now we're redeemed. And we see number three and lastly. Where are we at on time? Oh boy. Number three. We are made righteous. We're a righteous man. Paul says in verse 27, Where, there, where is boasting then? It is excluded By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. 
Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the, of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. We see we're made righteous, which leads me to letter A. We, or he, she, however you want to word this here, we all have a new relationship with the law through what Christ has done for us. According to Paul, under inspiration here in the book of Romans, the new man knows that he isn't saved by keeping the law. He is saved by pure faith. Therefore, there is nothing to boast about in self when it comes to salvation. That's why we'll sing a song and it will have how deep the Father is, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. Because if keeping the law got us to heaven then it'd all be about us. We'd have bragging rights, right? There's nothing to brag about because it was our faith put in Jesus Christ and we didn't even have the faith. He helped us with that as well. You see, all the glory, all the credit, all the praise, all the honor for anything that we do belongs to him say why because we were dead 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 he gave us the faith and the grace he saved us he made us a new creature and everything we're able to do is done through what jesus christ has done in our lives we have nothing to boast about because the best I could ever do will never add up. The only thing I have to boast about in my life is Jesus Christ. He changed my life. I have his righteousness on me. I'm justified. I'm redeemed. I've been set free. Praise God for that. I've been forgiven. We have a new relationship. This is how a lot of people live in the world today. And I was going to make a sign for you, but I didn't have time to get my sign done. This 2 o'clock service business, it's just not enough time in the afternoon. And so, we've got two chairs here. Most of religion would sit in this chair right here, and they would say, do. You've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. And if you do all those things, you might get to heaven. That's not Bible Christianity. That's not the Bible way. This is the seat that we all sit in. Done. It's been done. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin, it's left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. I hear Christians a lot of times, they'll go down the road, well, you need to do, 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 do. There are a lot of things we should be doing. But we do these things thinking that we can get a better relationship with God because we do, 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 do. And you can do, 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 do all day you want, but it's not going to get you any closer to God because you're as close to him as you'll ever be through his son, Jesus Christ. It's been done. That's something that you need to never forget. It's been done. 
Every religion in the world is a do religion except Christianity because it's a done religion. We see that we have a new relationship with the law and then we think about this, we have a new relationship with the Lord. Verse 29 and 30, it says, Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the, of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we are brought into the right relationship with God. It was through Christ that gets us our relationship with God. Got to understand that. Now you think about 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Do you have those verses? Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we shall know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Hey, Christian, you go from being rejected from God. Not, people say we're all children of God. We're not all children of God. We go from being rejected to being chosen to being saved, to being justified, to being accepted in the Beloved because of Jesus Christ. And we have a new relationship with the Lord. Then the last verse, what else do we have? We have a new relationship with life. Life's completely different when we get saved. Look at verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. And the final verse Paul gives, asks the final question. If we're saved by faith and it does nothing to do with the law, then does this make the law of God null and void? What was the point of the law? And what does Paul say? So you think about it this way. Can we live or can we just throw out the law and live please if we're really saved by grace? And what does Paul say? God forbid. What he's saying is that our salvation doesn't do away with the law. Instead, our salvation establishes or fixes in place the law of God. How's this true? The Lord uses the law to teach us that we're sinners. He uses the law to show us that we're doomed without Him. He uses the law to establish our need. And now that we're saved the Lord begins to live this law through our lives. The difference is we are not living the law to be saved. We're not living the law because we have to. We naturally start living it out because the Spirit of God lives inside of us and we are raised to walk in the newness of life. That's what it comes down to. How wonderful that is. What happens after we get saved? We start growing in our Christian walk. We begin to live more like God. Now, don't think that you live like God because you've got a long ways to go, okay? Make sure you understand that. But that's what he's doing. Isn't that what he's making us into? And it's a process. And someday, when this corruption shall put on incorruption, 
and this mortal shall put on immortality, then I will be just as he is. But all thanks to Jesus and thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. Thanks to what he's done, you're not the person you used to be. Maybe you're watching online this afternoon. Maybe you're sitting here in the room today and you're like, well, I am the old person I used to be. Maybe you haven't been to Calvary and trusted Christ. Because Christ will make you a new creature. Old things will be passed away. All things will become new. And you can have redemption. You can have forgiveness. You can have justification. And God can be pleased with you through faith in his son. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had in your word. We thank you for your love for us.